Hello, I'm David Pipe and welcome to the first of this year's Pipe Up the Organ podcast. Well, you may wonder what that was. Not an organ as you've heard it before. Well, it's the murky and fascinating for me world of organ electronics. And I'm joined today uh, by my great friend, Hugh Morgan, who was a guest last year. I think we were talking about uh, Liszt and Brahms last year, Hugh. So this year we've, we've come slightly more technological, haven't we, to talk about that wonderful, dare I say weird and wonderful word of world of organ and electronics. Uh, well, welcome firstly. Tell us a little bit, um, how have you ended up in this, for me, absolutely fascinating, dare I say, bewildering world. Well, it, it really is a different world to uh, Liston Brahms, isn't it? We stepped into a parallel universe here. Um, and that was partly what drew me to it in the first place. Um, I was looking to explore the expanded possibilities of the organ um, and its capabilities. Um, and that came through, I think, just a, a, a personal need to be surprised or puzzled or confronted by, by music. Um, I cherish so much music in my life um, for various reasons, for personal reasons, or because it's beautiful or because it, it's excellent or it serves a, um, a purpose. Um, but I increasingly found that that music surprises me less and less. Uh, and so I just wanted to explore uh, and experiment and see what happened. Um, and so the first piece, I tried this with, um, was in 2010, and it's a piece called Adam's Fall, um, and it was written for a concert given in the Constitution Sancte Peter in Cologne, um, given by my great friend Michael Bonaventure. And uh, in this, I wanted to explore the idea of um, trying to bend the pitch of the organ or uh, muck it up, because we all know that the, the pitch of an organ, whatever else it does, that the pitch is absolute, it doesn't slide up and down. Um, during performance and so I wanted to try and find a way of doing that um, and the, the, I, so I turned to electronics uh, and I became hooked on it completely and I, I, I um, completely self-taught I've had no uh, real instruction on it at all um, and there have been a lot of blunders along the way but a lot of fun as well so that's how I came to it uh, and found it fascinating. That, oh, sorry is there, is there a piece that really got you going did you hear um, I don't know Steve Reich or someone and you thought you know I really want to try this for myself? Actually, no, not really. Um, it was it was born out of a compositional need. Um, uh, I had an idea of um, so Adam's Fall is made up of, of uh, six chords from Bach's chorale uh, durch Adam's Fall, uh, and uh, I I just transposed those by non diatonic intervals using electronics, uh, whilst the organ is uh, improvising on a pitch set derived from those chords. So. Um, uh, and it just created the most extraordinary effects of, of uh, beating and um, and it was really what I was after and I wanted the pitch of the um, the, the pre-recorded chords to coalesce but never quite reach the pitch of the organ um, and so there's this idea of, of, uh, of um, coalescing uh, but never attaining the absolute pitch of the organ. Can we go on a very brief tangent? You mentioned yes. that amazing organ in Cologne. Mm. Um, I've seen, I've never played it. I've seen pictures of the console, which looks like something out of Star Wars or, or Knight Rider, dare I say. 
what's that organ's unique selling point if, if you can even distill it to one well i i think it's um it's built out of a, a, a kind of modernist um uh, aesthetic so it does all sorts of things it's got huge banks of, of crazy mutations it has um percussion section it's got um basically two uh separate um uh sort of parts of the organ at different ends of the church so um and it can it, it's actually got very variable wind pressure um so it's very very good at doing um sort of post-expressionist modernist um uh sort of uh, big slabs of concrete sound um, and and actually in a way writing uh, and adding in electronics into that instrument just wasn't really the, the point and, and in fact the, the organ possibly could have done what i wanted just using the variable wind pressure but that, that's another story um but it's an extraordinary instrument and if people don't know it I, I i do strongly recommend that they they check it out the st peter's um church jesuit church in cologne the organist is dominic zustek Absolutely, right? and yeah. And he's done all kinds of amazing improvisations, hasn't he, on it? Very much so. He's very well known for his improvisations, and he's uh, recorded um, John Cage uh, as slow as possible, and Toshio Hosokawa and uh, Wolfgang Riem, and all sorts of things on 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 this instrument. So, uh, really, really very exciting and confronting stuff. You mentioned concrete slabs of sound, which is a wonderful um, segue for us. One of my favourite pieces that you've uh, composed is Sarsen, isn't it? Um, which I th I, I've played to various people who have never heard this concept of organ and electronics. And, and they look kind of astonished and gobsmacked in equal measures that, that somewhere in this texture, this is amazing, massive sound is an organ. So would you be kind enough to give us a little snippet of, of the monolithic Sarsen? So my first question, uh, and it's a very general one, is how? <laughs> how on earth did that come about? How did you make that sound? Well, there, there are two layers um, really to the sound there. The first is the fixed media electronics. And I, I think it's worth saying at the moment that what I personally work with is pre-recorded electronics um, and what would have been known in the 60s and the 70s as tape. Uh, so it's an organ and tape piece, really. So, um, so there are two layers. One is the tape and the other is the live um, organ sound that was recorded in St John's College, Cambridge, in the concert um, we did there uh, in 2018. Um, and the uh, the pre-recorded electronics are all created from organ samples, um, so uh, cluster chords uh, with various distortions and phasing and all sorts of exciting things going on. Um, and it, it's kind of horror film music in a way. It's uh, uh, just let let rip uh, just to see what uh, what could be done. Um, and one of my friends and colleagues described it as recklessly violent, uh, and I think that's that's fair enough. Um, so is it difficult a, to play? No, not at all. Actually, it sounds it, um, but but uh, once you get used to the, the physicality of the extended cluster technique, then it's uh, it's quite exhilarating. Actually, it's just. Um, Try not to break the organ while they're doing it. That's the main thing. Get carried away. Wonderful story, isn't there? About I think Alan Wicks playing uh, Ligeti's Volumina 
in the Royal Festival Hall and didn't the organ give up? I think he had sort of arms and probably arms and legs on the organ console to try and get as many notes down as possible and, and the poor old thing just gave up. <laughs> yeah, it's a danger. It's a danger. Um, and this, I mean, actually, this this is a sort of technique, um, I think, of, of composers like Torsten Nilsson and Bengt Hambreus. Um, and I know um, uh, Hambreus himself wrote for electronics as well as organ. Um, and I think these cluster techniques sort of came from there a little bit, certainly in my mind. So, um, uh, but yeah, you, you've got to be careful <laughs> what, your, what your instrument's capable of and not capable of. Uh, and this was done as the so-called, a part of the so-called Automatronic Collective, um, wasn't it? Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what that is? Well, we, we came together in 2013 uh, and there are four of us. There's, there's myself, there's Michael Bonaventure, a Scottish organist and composer, um, Lauren Redhead and Alistair Zaldua, uh, who are now married, actually, Lauren and, and Alistair. Um, and they're uh, both experimental performers and academics. Um, and we just came together through uh, a shared interest in this, finding these sort of extended and expanded possibilities of what the organ is capable of doing. Um, and we sort of have a little mission statement, which is to, to promote, create, commission and perform new repertoire for organ and electronics. Um, I, I'm not sure how many concerts we've done now. Um, quite a lot, I think. And we've, we've done um, tours as a, as a collective. We've been to Berlin, we've been to Scotland. Um, uh, we last performed here in Bristol in February uh, last year. In fact, my last public performance, but uh, still yeah. waiting for the next one. <laughs> I'm sure a lot, of, a lot of your listeners will relate to that. Um, and uh, I, th I think we've lost count of the new uh, repertoire that we've done, but I think it's something like over 50 new works um, that we've uh, performed, not only our own works, but lots of commissions from, from other people. Um, uh, Lauren and Alistair have a, a, a particular interest in live electronics. So Alistair performs um, using uh, things like Max MSP, and he performs live electronic manipulations. Um, Lauren is a, an expert at interpreting graphic scores. Um, Michael and I tend to work more with pre-recorded electronics. Um, so we, we all complement each other uh, and it's great fun. We've had a lot of fun exploring this music together for sure. And one of your, I guess, early bases was St. Lawrence's Church in Catford, wasn't it? It was, that that's right. That lovely round, round church with the Walker organ, I think? Yeah. So. Um, uh, it was a uh, 1968 instrument um, designed by David Sanger, who was organist there for 20 years, actually. Um, and uh, a fantastic octagonal um, construction, much in the, um, the, uh, uh, along the lines of the um, cathedral in Liverpool. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the concrete architecture and the modernism seems to complement this music incredibly well. And the, the organ was small, but very versatile. And uh, um, so we did a lot of uh, early work there, in fact. So. I think it's fascinating how this idea of a collective, have you got any planned projects? I suppose we can all just talk about plans at the moment, can't we? But mm. any projects on the go or, or any notable projects you've done with them in the past? Well, I, we, we really hope to um, reconvene here in Bristol, uh, hopefully in the autumn, um, because that was our last performance. And I think we'd like to pick up where we left off. Um, We've, yeah, we've, we've had a lot of um, interesting projects in the past. Uh, we even appeared at the, the Pull Out All the Stops Festival at the South Bank Centre when we were talking about our, our work there. Um, 
the concert at St John's College Cambridge it was very exciting for us uh, experimenting with their new sound system um, that was great uh, we performed at the Hexham Abbey Festival uh, as a collective um, we've toured uh, as well so but one uh, interesting little sideline is we've um, we've actually been involved in some liturgical projects as well so um, we've done a mass and uh, a vespers uh, and actually part of our performance here in Bristol last year was um, a liturgy called Still, uh, which was at um, uh, St. Stephen's Church in the centre of, of the city. Um, and that's something we'd also like to revisit come uh, the autumn. It's not for everybody uh, and they can be quite confronting, but at the same time, um, we think it's sort of, uh, you know, really um, expanded people's horizons in terms of, of, of uh, what the organ can do in a, a sacred as well as a concert um, context. Uh, so that's quite important to us as well. How did you find the clergy reacted to that? Uh, the clergy were pretty pretty thrilled actually. And oh, in fact, um, it was partly um, the vicar at St Lawrence and Catford, uh, uh, Father Charles Pickstone, who uh, encouraged us in this direction in the first place. Um, and uh, so we we did a, a mass during Holy Week a few years ago. That was. Uh, uh, a, an enormous um, number of our congregation came to it um, and there were some puzzled books but also some very thoughtful and interesting reactions afterwards as well um, and a lot of positive comments so um, we felt like we were on the on the right track with that too. Um, and you mentioned Lauren and Alistair earlier they've just been involved in quite a big project haven't they through the BBC I think is it Tectonics? Yeah, so there's a, an, an, um, an, a contemporary music festival um, which was due to take place last year in, in Glasgow called Tectonics. Um, I run through the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra um, and they had a slot at that last year and then of course everything just had to stop. Um, and it's just reconvened this, this weekend, uh, just passed actually, um, as an online festival. Uh, but there were some live late night performances on, on Radio 3 as well. Uh, and so they had a, a, a lovely concert, um, which is recorded, pre-recorded um, with video uh, and is now available on the BBC website. Um, and they did uh, a piece uh, by one of each of the four of us of the collective. So that was, that was very exciting. Um, and they used a Lammermuir chamber organ, little uh, oh, three-stop chamber organ um, that in fact, just by coincidence, we've used before um, in the concert. Um, and it just showed, goes to show you don't have to have an enormous instrument to make uh, really beautiful music work in, in this context. It's um, uh, it's something we might explore further, actually, it's, it's more intimate instruments and spaces. So. Can we just use it as a segue? Because I, I know in our, my very vague plan, I wouldn't call it a script, my very vague plan, we were going to talk <laughs> later about your recent recording project. But um, <clears throat> I'm sure... Any listeners, what having seen Hugh's name spell H-U-W, will, will not be surprised to hear he is mm -hmm. Welsh uh, and, and hailing from near Abergavenny. You've just recorded a, a disc, oh, I say disc, an online entity, um, on a small instrument, isn't it, in Grosmont? Absolutely. Tell us a bit about that. I've heard a little bit, and I, I couldn't believe that so little electronic <laughs> manipulation was really used. Well, this is partly... Um... So the, Grosmont is the village where I was born and, and I grew up, uh, and the instrument there is... Um, a uh, historic little walker um, from the uh, sort of second half of the 19th century. It's actually a barrel organ and it has a functioning hymn barrel in it. I think it's the only one of its uh, kind left um, functioning in the country. Um, although I haven't worked out how to 
use it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but it's a full stop instrument. Um, and one of the things that attracted me to, to this project is the fact that nobody's been able to use that instrument for the last year. Uh, it's been locked away in the church and the, um, what worship there has been is not, they've not been allowed to sing hymns. Things. So it's been dormant. So I'm not particularly interested in um, isolation art or lockdown art or anything like that. I think there's been an awful lot of really bad stuff, but I did want to see what effect the lockdown had had on the organ uh, and specifically what had happened to uh, the, the tuning of it um, and what interesting effects might have come about. Uh, and the answer to that was Walker built it so well that it was basically still quite tuned. So that was, a bit, from my point of view, a bit disappointing. But um, because it has mechanical stop action, uh, I was still able to do some quite interesting effects with it. Um, and I wanted to showcase what this tiny little instrument could do. And, and nearly all of the recording was just using the eight foot flute. Um, and uh, only using electronics really to help it out uh, and to do a few things that it couldn't really do on its own. So there was no distortion, there were no kind of crazy effects. Um, but what I did do was a bit of layering. Um, so imagining the instrument having sort of six manuals, but all playing the, the, the eight foot flute. Um, and I also uh, just did some octave, octave transpositions of, of various pitches. Um, and that was it really. Uh, and just, just seeing, there's a kind of forensic examination of the way that sounds rub up against each other um, and you exploiting the, um, uh, the, the, the kind of um, uh, inequalities of the, uh, the, the original building of the instruments and uh, just the tiny, tiny little variations in sound from pipe to pipe. And you had new pieces written for it as well. Were they all all new for the album? It was all improvised, actually. When I all was there, oh, I, oh, I think okay. there was there was one one piece that I'd taken from a, a previous composition, put it in a in a different context. But otherwise, it's all all improvising in a dark church, uh, uh, waiting for the blackbirds to go to sleep and things. So it's quite it was quite fun. Um, so yeah, and that it was uh, as part of uh, um, uh, a sort of little uh, love song almost to the landscape around that that village, and and also. Uh, to the instruments and, and part of continuation of this, this sort of interest I have in pitch uh, and the mutability of pitch on, on the organ, whether you can do I, that or not. I was wondering, is this year we, we've decided to have a little bit of musical excerpts. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us possibly of that recording or um, one of your other projects? I know you mentioned some earlier. Well, I, I, I spoke about... Um, uh, the layering of sound. Uh, so maybe if we'll just have a little extract um, of a track called Light Spills Over Banked Roots. Uh, and this is this is a three note chord. It's an F, a G and an A. And so there are only three notes in, in this piece and they're sustained throughout. Um, but this is just layering up different um, uh, uh, registrations and pitches that have all been brought together at that, that um, transposed to be at that pitch. Uh, and just fading in and out of each other. So that's all the electronics are doing, is just kind of moving the sand around. But what you hear is what the organ can do, just piled up on top of each other.
lovely. It's haunting, isn't it? That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, uh, it, it, unfortunately it's not something I could uh, could experience as I was recording it because I had to sort of build it up layer by layer. But um, uh, it's yeah, it's a very interesting effect. I was very pleased with the way it came out in the end. I think one of the questions I always have about this, and I'm not a composer, I'll say that first and foremost, is how, how easy or difficult is it to make something that sounds really effective using electronics manipulation, how do you term it? Is, is this something that has educational possibilities, do you think? I think it does. I mean, I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm completely self-taught with the, uh, the electronic side of things. Um, so uh, also more or less self-taught as a composer as well. Um, I think you need to have a basic structure in mind when you're approaching these things, and, uh, you know, or, or at least uh, just an idea of how the sound is going to travel through what you're doing. But otherwise, record some stand, sounds, get it into a, um, a basic editor and start manipulating it and see, see what you can do. And, and I think the organ is brilliantly suited to this in, in terms of... A, it's, it's like a, a sort of a, um, a synthesizer in a, in a way. It sort of provides a, a signal that you can then manipulate. Um, and I think it's uh, I think kids would find it fascinating to to sit and fiddle around and move sliders about and see what it does to the sound. Um, I'd love to hear the results. And in performance, is it something you think that can be quite um, interactive? Is it is it a case of, of really just putting the track on and sitting there and letting it tick away, or can you write, I suppose, can you write pieces that have quite a, a degree of organist work to do? Very much so. Um, and I think it's it's something that um, we've explored a little bit is how much um, playing you can do as an organist as part of this. And, and the, getting the balance between the electronics and the organ part can be quite tricky, actually. And sometimes, um, you know, and you can find yourself writing just a sort of single sustained notes on the organ and and, uh, and then doing all sorts of wild and wacky things. And then you wonder, well, why, this, why is the organ there in the first place? Um, but um, uh, so, yeah, so, you, you know, if you're an organist and you like writing organ music, you can still do this and, and um, drop in a few electronic elements here and there. So in terms of organist interaction, how much how much work does an organist actually need to do in this? Is it a case to sit back and wait or can you you know, wait for the electronics, I suppose, or can you actually get quite involved? I think it, it, it's, it's a, a complete range of, of almost no um, input at all as a live organist to playing a very involved organ work, um, which just happens to have uh, some electronic elements that are going along at the same time. Um, if, you're, um, if you're playing with a pre-recorded tape and you have a complex organ part, that can be really challenging because you have to keep to a, a timeline and you have to make sure that your um you know, your what you're playing corresponds with, with certain events in the electronics so you you can, not only are you concentrating on all the things that you have to concentrate on playing the organ but you also have a stopwatch as well and you'll need to play certain things at certain points to, to make everything line up if that's the way the piece works i mean there, there are other things but i, I also have a, a kind of ongoing project um called melos which is uh a little bit like uh, what what you heard there with with light spills over bank roots, and it's um, uh, it's just the idea of, of some held tones on the organ and some glissandi using samples of the organ pipes. So there's a, um, a kind of um, uh, 
uh, a glissando, which of course the organ can't do, but the electronics are kind of fooling you into thinking it can do it. Um, and the last concert we did, I, I set, uh, I, I weighted the keys down, I set the, um, the track going and the, the stop going at the same time. And then I, I went and sat in the audience and listened with them. It was, it was quite fun. Um, and I also encouraged people to walk around the church to, to in, encounter the sound from, from different places because the standing waves and the, the beating and the um, musical interference will sound different depending on where you are in the building. So, um, so I went for a walk during my own piece, which is, was very exciting. You mentioned Glissandi. It reminds me a little bit of, um, you think I'm a Philistine here, but some of Rick Waitman's work, you know, those synthesizers, and you suddenly get this screeching slide up, and it's, uh, I'm sure the effects are amazing. Wouldn't it be fun to be able to do that? <laughs> so I think just imagine that on a Sunday morning, playing, playing a hymn and just getting a bit carried away. It'd be great. A bit of pitch bend going on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Very much. I think... Um, I mean, one thing I'm really keen on, you mentioned the stopwatch there, and I think I've probably played two or three of these pieces, yours and, and our mutual mm-hmm. friend Michael Bonaventure's, um, playing along with the stopwatch, which actually was quite a nice challenge. It was kind of nerve-wracking, but a lovely challenge. Now, later in the series, um, I think hopefully our final episode, our mutual friend Pam Hume's going to come and talk to us. Mm, fantastic. Pam works, doesn't she, in live looping? Yes, that's and right. You, and, and I say idiot's guide because I really am an idiot when it comes to this. Could you give us a bit of a sort of idiot's guide? What's the difference between the, the compositions you do and the compositions that Pam will do? Well, the electronics and what I do at the moment um, are all pre-prepared. Uh, and so you have a, a track, uh, a tape or a track on the laptop or something, and that, that starts. Uh, and then your live activity has to correspond um, to a greater or lesser degree to, to that. Um, uh, it's, it's like being part of a, an orchestra almost, that you, you're not uh, able to stop and take things at your own time. Uh, it's just the person waving the baton is, is usually electronic rather than uh, some of the white stick. Um, whereas what Pam is doing uh, is live manipulation of sound uh, as well as live uh, performing on the organ. So um, she'll capture uh, a, a, a bit of sound that she's just made and she'll use uh, various devices to, to loop that and to create echoes and things. So she's building up a texture and manipulating the sound as she goes along, uh, which is a great skill. Uh, and I've heard some of the work and it's just fantastic and comes from a, a totally different place again from, from the work that we do in our collective. And it's, it's lovely to see such a breadth of, of um, uh, aesthetic in, in this expanding repertoire. So. Uh, very excited to hear what, what what you talk about with Pam. So I think one of the, dare I say, one of the challenges of organ music is it can be viewed, can't it, by some as rather stuck in its ways. And um, I'm not going to say it ended in 1750. I think some great music was written between 1685 and 1750. But, mm-hmm. you know, we, we could say that I'm sure a topic of another podcast would be you know Cameron Carpenter and his fusion of, of electronic and pipe organs and I know like Marmite people have very strong views on it but I do think the work you've done and the work Pam's done and you both can all continue to do just makes the organ that much more interesting dare I say accessible to a much different demographic of performer and listener um, and this is why I'm so keen to explore uh, the educational possibilities because I'm sure listening to some of the things you've done and, and it's so great to hear you talk about structure but these are things that I'm sure a GCC or an A-level composition student could could assimilate could try out they needn't even be an organist but if they can sit there with their 
you know, timeline, make sure at 25 seconds you're changing to a different pitch, or if they've managed to master that that live looping technique. This seems to me like a really rewarding and enjoyable method of, of composition. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And uh, I think I suspect that uh, nearly all of those GCSE and A-level students would be technically more competent than I am on, on the electronics. And, and it would be really interesting to see what um, uh, an encounter with an organ in that context would do for their imagination. I think that's uh, um, that's a really important thing. So, yeah, I'd love to love to see what would, would come out of this uh, if, if such a project were, were to happen. Because I think we constantly need to think about so many of us think the organ is, is just a liturgical instrument. Mm. You know, it does exist in concert halls. You mentioned the festival hall earlier. But I think the more the organ can be used in unexpected, for me, unexpected circumstances. Um, mm-hmm. And and things are going to, you know, as you said about your listeners, your, your congregation to the mm. um, electronics mass. I think the more we can push the boundaries and make people think about how they're hearing pieces differently mm-hmm. um I, I do think the organ of course i think you once said is is the world's oldest synthesizer mm-hmm. uh, and the way it can be used in different ways different methods i think is very exciting and very promising i agree completely and i think you know obviously it's important that we um retain the uh, um, a tradition of excellence and performance of uh, of, of um, you know the canon and uh, all the uh, the um, repertoire that we love and cherish uh, and that people continue to, to unearth older repertoire as well. I think this is all great. Um, but the organ, like any instrument, it can't just be a performing museum. You can't just um, uh, sort of idolise um, these these older traditions. You have to, to take it forwards as well. And for me, it's not for everyone, I completely understand that. But for me, this is one direction that's very exciting uh, and can uh, you know, put the organ in a new context and um, you know open it up to, to new audiences. Um, and it, very interestingly, uh, um, a lot of the, the people who come to our organ and electronics concerts have come from uh, have an appreciation of different artistic media. So we, we get people who are into performance art or, or sound installation or um, or even from visual art world, and they they come to this uh, out of curiosity. Um, so it's not not really necessarily just for organists. In fact, quite a lot of organists don't, don't really like it at all, and that's fine as well. You know, um, that's that's not a problem as long as people engage with something and then uh, decide whether they like it or not in a rational and relaxed way. That's that's fine. That's important, isn't it? It is. I'm thinking, Hugh. This is probably a, a it's quite a lovely soundbite as ever to end on. But I would like, if if you're willing, just to hear another piece for organ electronics. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned uh, your colleague Lauren, who's obviously got a, a huge backlog of compositions, has written something. Is that could you just give us a little snippet of that to as our sort of as it were play out? Of course, um, this is a piece called Phosphorescent, which uh, arose from. Um, uh, uh, an almost operatic work that Lauren composed called Octopus. Uh, and um, this is a performance from the Canterbury Festival in 2018. Um, and here you'll hear um, live electronics and amplified violin and organ. Um, so this is Lauren and Alistair performing together. Uh, and this is the, uh, the end of Phosphorescent.
thank you, Hugh, for, I think, introducing us to this amazing, amazing sound world. Um, quick plug, your new album is entitled Island. Have I got that right? That's right. And it's out on Bandcamp. So, uh, <laughs> listeners, look out on Bandcamp uh, website, Hugh Morgan Island. It's, uh, you'll probably hate me for saying this, but for me, it's, it's that kind of atmospheric, very relaxing sound world to sit back and listen to, which I, I had it on the other week when I was doing some work and I thought it was just beautiful. So, that's entirely uh, the intention. So. <laughs> oh, well, that's, <laughs> I got it right. <laughs> so again, thank you. Thank you as ever for being our guest. It's it's wonderful to, to chat to you uh, as always and to hear some of your, your wonderful compositions and improvisations in this case. Thank you, David. My pleasure. So uh, our listeners, we're going to do every two weeks now for these podcasts. There's a little bit more going on than uh, this time last year when we we're all in the middle of our, our first lockdown. But I'm delighted. Uh, two weeks today on the 28th of May, my guest is going to be Annalise Smoot, uh, who is known to many as not just a, a fantastic organist, uh, but one of this country's foremost organ teachers. She is in charge of Oundle for Organists, the annual summer course in uh, Oundle in Northamptonshire. And it's going to be a real pleasure to talk about her uh, about her playing, but also about her education work. So thank you for listening. Everyone stay safe. Looking forward to uh, speaking to you again two weeks from now on the 28th of May. Goodbye. Goodbye.